Well, as you might have noticed, hopefully you noticed, uh, I was not here last Sunday. Uh, I like Bernie. We get along very well. Uh, like meeting with, we grab breakfast pretty often, and I just like to chat and talk about Jesus and the church and everything else with Bernie. He's a great guy. Um, but if you think I'm going to preach as long as he did, uh, let me just dash those hopes now. Uh, Bernie is able to say what he wants to say in 20 minutes or less. I am not. So we are definitely different in that respect. But uh, if you have been coming here for any period of time and you missed it, I um, just want to make you aware we're, we're a part of a denomination. Uh, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church or denomination. Uh, we are the Dubois Alliance. Uh, they shorten it a lot with just calling it the Alliance because it's a mouthful to say the Christian and Missionary Alliance a lot. But we are a denomination. Uh, didn't start out that way. We started out as a parachurch ministry that was meant to reach people, especially immigrants in New York. Uh, but one of the things that our founder, who was, if you've never read anything up on A.B. Simpson, he is worth reading up on. Um, phenomenal man of God. But he had this, as, as he lived his life, he developed a, uh, an idea of the gospel that he would refer to as the fourfold gospel. He believed that the gospel was kind of portrayed in four very important facts. And uh, he would say often, Jesus is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and Coming King. Those were the four parts of his fourfold gospel that he focused a lot on. And if you read up on him, you'll, you'll learn through his lifetime how each of those impacted him significantly throughout his lifetime. Um, he saw Jesus engage him through the gospel in each of those facets. Well, uh, it's still part of our theology. It's still part of our, our denomination, the fourfold gospel. If you've ever seen our, which I don't, it would have been smart to probably have a representation of it. If you have your bulletin, right on the front there, uh, there there's that little logo splotch that has the DA in it. Uh, that comes from the Alliance's logo. Uh, they have a similar little splotch there. But if you've ever seen that, they have a couple different symbols in there. Uh, and it, uh, they have four different symbols, uh, each indicating the different four parts of the fourfold gospel, Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. One of the things I learned, I didn't know this, I've, not, I've only known of the Alliance since about 2008, so uh, I didn't grow up Alliance or anything like that, but uh, I learned that in a lot of countries, uh, churches will put the Christian Missionary Alliance logo on their church even if they're not affiliated with us, because in many countries it's synonymous with a good, solid church that will teach you about Jesus. I just thought that was interesting. Some, some international workers I knew in, in, encountered uh, this themselves, and they saw this church with the logo on it, and they went into it like, wow, we didn't know there was a Christian Missionary Alliance church. They're like, what? Who's that? They're like, I don't know, we just know that this brings people, like this symbol brings people, so we put it on our church. <laughs> I just thought that was funny, uh, and apparently that's not an uncommon thing. Uh, so I just think it's cool that God has used that, and he's used the fourfold gospel. It's a great teaching tool as well. Uh, as you talk about that, if you've been in our membership class, you know that we've gone through this, we, you know the scripture references and all of that. Uh, you might not have noticed, or maybe you did, as we've gone through our statement of faith, we cover each of the areas of the fourfold gospel. We've already covered Savior and Sanctifier. Today we're going to cover Healer and 
in maybe next week. I, I never make any predictions on what we'll get to, but maybe next week we'll cover the coming king. So we will cover all four parts of it. But today we're going we're to discuss the aspect of healer. Uh, we're also going to discuss the role of the church in God's plan for the redemption of mankind. Uh, so the statements we'll cover today, if you have a copy of your uh, statement of faith, if you don't, they're, again, they're always on the welcome desk back there uh, if you want to follow along with it. But we're going to cover the statements, uh, provision, let me make sure I'm following along here, provision is made in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ for the healing of the mortal body. Prayer for the sick and anointing with oil are taught in the scriptures and are privileges for the church in this present age. The church consists of all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church, which has been commissioned by him to go into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, for edification through the word of God, for prayer, fellowship, the proclamation of the gospel, and observance of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So that's the entirety of what we're planning to cover this morning. Uh, again, I make no promises as to what we'll get through, but that's the intention of what we're going to cover today. So I, do, I do want to start with that first statement there. Provision is made in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ for the healing of the mortal body. Uh, if you've read the Gospels, which I certainly hope you have, you've uh, noticed that a large portion of Jesus' ministry was physical healing. So one of the ways he drew crowds was he would sit down in a place or he'd stop in a town or a place for a, maybe a few hours, maybe a couple days, and he would heal any who came to him. He, would heal a, he healed tons and tons of sick people. Uh, and I don't know if you ever thought about that. Watching The Chosen, it really brings that, uh, that aspect of his ministry to life. Uh, if you've not watched the uh, second season, I'd encourage you to watch all of them, but particularly in the second season, you get to see a little bit of how that ministry might have played out for Jesus. Uh, it wasn't like all high fives and happiness. You know, think about dealing with people who have had chronic illnesses or sicknesses for their life or, or in, in, in urgent need of, of something, and that's what Jesus deals with constantly, constantly dealing with people asking and wanting from him. But um, you see a little bit of this in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. It says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Uh, any of you would like to spend like the next three years like casting demons out of people and healing sick people and like that's just what you do for the next three years? That'd be a pretty tough, that's a heavy ministry that Jesus had. Uh, it seems really awesome and you know like uh, you've seen probably depictions of it, of Jesus healing someone and it's this beautiful glorious moment as Jesus heals this person and, and a lot of times it is and certainly for the person being healed it is. But imagine doing that day in and day out for years uh, and uh, of ministry in that, and that's that's the 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 weight Jesus carried for us. But it was a huge part of his ministry. Uh, and I want you to notice the careful wording of our statement here. Uh, it says provision is made, and those words I think are important because notice it doesn't say healing is guaranteed. All you got to do is pray, and you'll be healed. That's not what it says. 
It says provision is made. We do not believe in the name it and claim it type of healing. That, well, all you got to do is have faith. Now, uh, to be ordained in our denomination, uh, we have, it's about, I think, the equivalent of like two semesters worth of work um, that we have to do. And in that, we have to write these papers. And um, if you know anything about me and that, they have to be eight pages. I was actually told to stop writing them as long as I was writing them, but I just didn't think I could cover the subjects adequately in eight pages. So I usually took about 25 to 30 um, to cover some of these subjects because that's what I do. That's what I love to do. And as you know, I, brevity is not my gift. Uh, I like to over-explain things if I can. And so uh, one of the, the papers I had to write was on this exact thing, the fourfold gospel, and, and, and you had to write a paper on each of them. And, and dealing with the healing, my frustration with this in in the church is the idea that all you have to do is have faith. If you have enough faith, the idea, it's not usually said this way, but basically if you have enough faith, God will heal you. So you're left at the end of the day with, with a problem. If you're not healed, either your faith wasn't good enough or you're just not a believer. Because if you're a believer and you believe enough, then Jesus is going to heal you. And that's not what the Scriptures say. And if you have read up on A.B. Simpson, he was very passionate about healing. Uh, he in, encountered some incredible illnesses throughout his life, and he saw Jesus show up in those. Uh, and he actually, in his time, was known as as far out charismatic as a person could exist on the face of the planet because he would have these healing houses and you would come to these healing houses and, you know, to be healed. That's what you were there for. And you would stay and they would pray over you. And, and it, was just, it was just so radical for him. But he really believed that Jesus can heal people and that he will heal people. But some people have abused his writings to, for this name it and claim it idea to say, well, because A.B. Simpson believed so powerfully in, in God's healing capacity that it was basically a name and claim it, and this is simply not true. Um, God will do what He's going to do, and I love that. You know, one of our sayings to the miraculous gifts is expectation without agenda. We're going to expect God to show up, and you know what? It might be healing, but it also might not, because He knows more than we do. His perspective is greater than us. Paul makes it very uh, clear that he was a man of God, and he served God with his life. And yet there's an instance where God said, yeah, you know what? Healing is not what I'm going to do in that situation. Uh, so it's not guaranteed, but provision is made. And if you're praying for healing and you're getting frustrated or you're getting angry at God, ask Him not for what you want, but ask Him for perspective. God, help me understand this. Because I'll tell you, when people have come to me and, and they've had these horrible illnesses or somebody they know died recently and they say, why did that happen? I prayed and I really prayed with faith and I believed 100% God was going to do it and they're devastated when He doesn't. I, I, can't, I can't answer their questions for them. I say, I don't know. What I can tell you is pray for perspective. Ask God to show you why. Ask, ask Him to help you understand His perspective on this because I don't always know. I don't have the mind of God. I can't tell you why sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes he heals and sometimes he doesn't. I just know he loves you and he would never do something despite you. Some people think, well, it's because of this one time I did that one thing or that sin that I had back and before I even knew Jesus. That's why he won't heal me. That's not true. That's not possible. That's not who God is. God doesn't deal with us out of spite uh, or because of who we used to be. 
He doesn't heal us because he's getting good things from us. He loves us. Now, sin can, can affect that, and we'll talk about that, but God loves us. He loves you. And so if you've been praying for healing over yourself, over a loved one, or somebody who has passed, God loved them. He loves you. So ask for perspective. If you think about a child who really, really wants something, and you have to tell him, no, I don't know about you, but sometimes my child does not act like the perfect angel when he is told no. And he can throw a fit. And you just, you know, if you've ever had a kid give you that look of like, why do you have to hate me so much to say no? And we do the same thing to God. He says no to something. And it's something that, that might be really good in our minds, something we really, really want. And it's so easy to look at him and like, why do you have to be so mean, God? And as a parent, you know, it's like, oh, man, if you just understood, if you just had a different perspective, you would know why I'm saying no, but you don't. So uh, I can try to explain it to you, but you're just going to throw more of a fit so, and try to reason your way through it, but it's just a change of perspective. The next part of our statement of faith says, Prayer for the sick and anointing with oil are taught in the Scriptures and are privileges for the church in this present age. That uh, big part of that comes from James chapter 5, verses 13 and 16 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Uh, if you know of this act of anointing with oil, um, this goes back all the way through the Old Testament. This is, it's a very old practice. It's not a new thing in the New Testament that, um, that the, Bible's, uh, the New Testament's talking about, Scripture has in there. What it does is it symbolizes the one being anointed as being set apart. A lot of times the oil used for anointing, it's not like the oil that we use today, uh, uh, or else we probably wouldn't keep it right up here by the altar and just laying out because in that day, uh, a jar of oil could be uh, equivalent to a year of salary for somebody. It, it was expensive. It was not cheap to obtain, especially the oil they would use for anointing. And so to use this oil on somebody, it had to be a pretty special occasion. It, it had to be something significant. And it portrayed onto that person significance. If, if I brought someone up front and spent $300 worth of oil anointing them, you would think, okay, that, something serious is happening here because they're, they're investing this into this person. And that was the idea behind anointing. It's to say, this person is set apart. This is a unique, special thing or, or role that this person is stepping into, whether it was king or priest or you know, those kind of things where they would anoint them and, and pray over them. It added weight to the moment to say that, that this is happening. Uh, but it had a lot to do with the setting apart, to say this person, this thing is special. It has special significance and so we're anointing it to show that, to symbolize that. 
Um, it says that we are to call the elders of the church and ask them to uh, pray over us and anoint us for healing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that. If you don't know, I often will forget to remind us of this, but uh, every communion Sunday especially, uh, the elders know that it's part of what we do uh, is to pray over those who would like that and anoint and pray over them. Many of you have taken advantage of that, and then we welcome you to do that. But just know that's not like a once-a-month thing. You can call us on a Wednesday night and say, I'm in desperate need of this. And one of us will come and we'll pray with you, we'll anoint you, uh, whatever that is. But any, any, certainly any services that we have, let us know if that's something that God is moving you toward. Now, we don't believe, like, obviously, if like you've been shot, don't call the elders to anoint you, okay? Um, use, utilize some common sense in this. Uh, we don't think that replaces good medical care or anything like that. Um, but... It should be one of your primary responses, especially to something that's chronic, something that's happening. Have you asked the elders to pray for that, anoint you and pray over it? And also, don't be offended if one of the questions when we're praying over you is, is there any sin in your life that could be blocking God from healing you? Because scriptures, like we just read, says, you know, pray for one another and, and confess your sins so that you may be healed. There are times when God will, won't be able to heal us because we've got sin in the way, and we're not willing to let go of that sin in order to be healed. And so God, kind of, his hands are kind of tied in that because uh, w- there is this belief, well, God can do anything he wants. No, God has set up things like justice and, and, and holiness and, and righteousness and these things, and, and he's also made it very clear that there are things that we can do uh, that can hinder his work. It's one of the reasons Jesus says, you know, even in his hometown, uh, the, the amount of healings he did in, in the people close to him were, were far less than those who didn't know him. Why? Because we get in the way a lot of times. Our own beliefs, our own misconceptions, and so in that healing process, uh, there might be uh, a necessary time for confession of sin. Uh, and I can tell you, I know all of our elders well enough to know that they won't be like, oh my goodness, what a horrible person. Well, God's not going to heal you. That's not what it's for. We're not here to get dirt on people if we ask you that. But if you come forward for healing and you're not willing to confess sin that's there, that God puts, especially when he puts it on your mind, then don't expect the healing because it's a process here. We have to want Jesus more than everything else in our life. We have to want him more than our sin. Why would God uh, heal us if all it does is continue to give us this impression, well, God's just a genie in a bottle. He's just my vending machine. I go to him whenever I want something. I don't have to actually invest into this or do anything that he says. I can just get what I want, and that's not what God wants from us. So we're to call on the elders Ask them to pray and anoint us for healing. But what kind of healing falls under this? Is this only like, well, this covers like broken bones and the sniffles and maybe some internal stuff, but it doesn't cover this, this, and this. It's not even just physical. God's not limited to just physical healing. This could be emotional, spiritual, mental things that God 
uh, can heal, you bring these before him and let him, and ask God to enter these areas and heal these areas. I've seen God do uh, incredible emotional healing in people, things that just couldn't be accomplished just by sitting and talking about it. And God heals things, takes years, decades of baggage from us when we lay it at his feet. He has that capacity, but there's a process to this. It's not just, hey God, hey, I have this thing, can you take it from me? There's a process to it, and there's a reason for that. It's not because, well, God's only going to do it if you do this. That's not how God is. But I want you to know, make it very clear, physical healing is not the only type of healing that God will engage in. So if there's anything, any need in our church family, please let the elders know. Let us anoint you and pray over you. There's a reason that the James passage tells us to have the elders pray over us and to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. Why, why, why is this process there? I believe one of the main reasons is church is meant to be a family. This isn't meant to be a place where you come to get what you want. It's one of the frustrations I've had as a pastor is uh, when people complain, it's usually, well, I'm not getting what I want. And that doesn't make me happy. And if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to go to this other church that will give me what I want. As if the church is in the, is in the business of dispensing spiritual goods to people. Uh, we've had this conversation. I really love Life Church's uh, um, vision statements, or no, they're not vision, value statements that talk about uh, that we are spiritual uh, contributors, not spiritual consumers. And we have allowed that consumer mentality to even invade the church. And when we come, it's like, okay, what do you have for me today? What am I going to get out of this? What's in it for me? And we take that mentality into the church world and into our spiritual lives. And it's like, okay, God, I'm giving you service. I'm doing these things. I'm working in children's church. I served as an usher. Uh, What do I get? I, I, don't, I should have many benefits from this. I should be financially successful. You should bless everything that I'm doing because I give you things. That's not the way it is. And I, I believe there's a reason that, yes, you can pray for your own healing, and yes, God can enter that and, and heal that, but he also encourages us to engage in the family, to engage in the structure of the church. Our vision statement reaffirms this, if you don't know our vision statement. To be a family... To be a family where everyone can know, experience, and be empowered to ignite the love of Christ. That's why we exist. That's our vision statement. That's, we wrestled over this. We came out with this. God gave this vision statement to us. To be a family, and family is important, where everyone, not just people whose butts are in our pews on a Sunday, where everyone can know, but not just know, because knowledge doesn't do a whole lot, experience we're actually going to go out and love people they're going to experience god's love because of us but we're not even going to stop there and be empowered to ignite the love of christ that's who we have a vision to be and you know what we do this really well sometimes we don't do it so well other times that's why it's a vision statement because it keeps it constantly in front of us this is who god has called us to be to be a family This will require us to be transparent and vulnerable with one another. If you look around the room or you you think about our church family, are there members of our church family you feel you can be completely transparent and honest with? If not, that's a work of Satan to keep division among us. 
If you feel like there's nobody in my church family that I can be transparent with, I can be vulnerable with, man, that, there's a problem with that. Then we're not a family. Family, you can tell family anything, and they might not like it. You may get in a fight, but guess what? You're family. <laughs> You're stuck with them. That's who we should be. We should, you know what? They're not going to like this, but I got I to confess this thing. And it might create some problems for me. I might even have to step out of a ministry role because of it. But I can't let this go. That, to have that heart. But there should be people as we look around that we know that we can confide in. We know that we can pour out what is in us and confess things and have complete transparency and openness with one another. Because that was God's design for the church. The next part of our statement it deals with first the definition of the universal church and then the definition of a local church because that's what God is calling us to be. So the next part of our statement of faith says the church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church. So this is the universal church this is talking about um, that we're speaking of here. This isn't just the Christian and Missionary Alliance church. This isn't just the, you know, this denomination's church. This is all people who believe in Jesus Christ, as it's saying. We, the universal church, are known as the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 22 and 23 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the body of Christ. It's not about uh, who attends, uh, those who attend a church. This This isn't, when we talk about the universal church, it's not like, oh, well, all those who have an active membership in a Bible believing, Jesus following church. That's not what this is talking about. This has to do with our relationship with God because the reality is there are some who have a uh, passionate relationship with Jesus and aren't members of, uh, of a church. There are others who are members of a church and have no relationship with Jesus. This specifically has to do with where we stand with Jesus. It's about being born again of the Holy Spirit. There will unfortunately be many who attend church who will not enter heaven because it was more about membership for them. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, when I played football in high school, uh, we had a player who will remain nameless who would always complain that something hurt all week long. He'd always have a reason that he uh, could practice, who who couldn't practice or uh, had a lighter practice uh, because his foot hurt or the Uh, something else hurt or something was going on or he'd take a concussion, but would magically always be back to full health on game day. Game night, he was always tip-top shape. Well, as you can maybe guess, he spent a lot of time on the bench uh, because uh, practice is is a big part of being a part of a team. You can't just show up on game day and expect um, that to happen. For me, it's a good reminder, a good illustration of how you can be on the team but not a part of the team. Technically, he was on our roster. 
he was, his name was there. He was, I don't know, whatever position he would have played if he ever played. But he wasn't part of the team. And the team knew that. We felt that. We wouldn't have trusted him as part of the team uh, because you've got to be, you've got to get down and dirty with the team during the week. It's, it's the tough stuff. It's the stuff you don't want to do. It's the ugly part of it so that on game day, you can join the team. And um, In high school, we were, we were pretty good. We never lost a game. Uh, so you would want to be a part of our team because you got all the glory of, of playing for uh, the Wimber Ramblers. Um, yeah. Back in the day. But there's a big difference, even in the church, of being on the roster and then being part of the team, being part of the family. See, many Christians are on the team, but not a part of the team because they're not committed to the mission. See, that's who we are. I love David Platt's uh, conversation about are we a, a battleship or are we a cruise ship? We, is that, what's our view of the church? A battleship or a cruise ship? Because a cruise ship, man, they're just hanging out. Everything's there for you. They're there to serve you. They're there to make your every desire possible. Uh, you're on vacation. And a battleship, everything you do has a purpose. You have a mission. You're not, gonna, you're not on board with the mission. You might be floating in the sea. Because you you, you're there for a reason. And everybody there chips in. Everybody's a part of it. Because if one person's not, it's going to affect everybody else. I love that explanation of the church. Because it's not just about like, well, yeah, you have to serve in certain places. That's not it. There's a mission that the church has been set to. And we should be like a battleship. Engaged in our mission at all times. Every member, every person on the roster engaged in that mission, there to see that mission accomplished. And if we're not accomplishing the mission, then we all accept that we are failing. It's not pointing fingers, it's not making excuses, it's we just aren't achieving the mission that God has set for us. The next part of our statement of faith says, which has been commissioned by him to go into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. So if you were wondering what I meant by the mission, that's our mission, that we have been sent into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. Does that mean that you have to be a preacher? No, that's not what it means. Um, A sad reality, though, for many believers will be when they stand before Jesus one day and they have to answer for how, though they received the rescuing power from an eternity in hell. Why did they not care enough about those around them to extend that, save, that same saving power to them? Uh, there will be many Christians. If, if the statistics are right, literally 90% of Christians will stand before Jesus and have to answer for why they never led a single other person to Christ. Why though they were ecstatic to be saved from the pit of hell. They never cared enough about those who were on their way to hell around them to speak up and get past their insecurities, get past the uncomfortability, get past whatever it is to tell others about Jesus. We'll have to answer for how we let our jobs, our families, our hobbies, our insecurities take priority over the primary mission in life. 
we've all been set to this mission. It's not like, well, yeah, if you're a paid professional in the Christian uh, world, that's your job. The rest of us, we just support that by showing up here and there, maybe throwing some money at it, praying here and there about it. It's not, it's not at all what the gospel says. It says we've all been commissioned to make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 make it clear. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our mission. And I can say it till I'm blue in the face up here, but I, I think a sobering reality is to think, what will we say? when we stand before Jesus one day. And he says, all right, it's time to take account for those you talk to about me. How much did you care to take the kingdom to those who were lost, had no hope? We'll have to answer for our neighbors. We'll have to answer for our coworkers. I believe that because there's a responsibility. There's a, there's a weight to being a Christian and it's the fact, it's honestly a pretty easy wait because it's, man, Jesus is awesome. Do you know what you could have if you knew him? Do you know the hope you could have? Do you know that, that hopelessness that you constantly talk to me about? Guess what? There's somebody who can fix that. His name is Jesus. It's not a heavy weight, but we have a responsibility for those around us. This is the call. Again, not just for the professionals. This is for every believer. Not to make converts, not just to get somebody to pray a prayer. I, I never, you might be for this, I never got on board with the whole passing out tracks idea. Because we're not ma- there to make converts. It's not what it's about. It's about making disciples. It's about taking people from lostness to closeness with Jesus. It's about walking with them shoulder to shoulder. It's about uh, suffering through the valleys with them and celebrating on the mountaintops with them. It's about a journey. It's what it's always been. It's about community. It's not about passing something out and saying, believe in Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. That might have worked for some people. They might have come to know Jesus, but man, we failed miserably at discipleship for decades we wonder why the younger generations are flocking from the church. No one discipled them. We weren't, we weren't concerned about that. We weren't focused on that. And now we're in a pinch. We have a problem. No one wants to work in our children's ministries. No one wants to do nursery stuff. That's where the church has got itself because that generation that normally served that way, culture and church separated for the first time since we all know about, and we didn't have that anymore. Well, why are they leaving? Don't they know that's what they're supposed to do? They don't care about that. They didn't have a relationship. They didn't have community. We're called to make disciples. There are many as well who have seen the dysfunction of the church, and they've written the church off. I've talked to many people like, oh, yeah, I used to go to church, but man, it Church is so messed up. Oh, people there are so evil. People there, it's all political. It's all this. It's all that. It's all judgment. And they've chosen to isolate themselves instead of engage in a local body of believers. And I think it's sad. Part of our statement of faith that we believe is that the local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God 
for edification through the word of God, for prayer, fellowship, the proclamation of the gospel, and observance of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Notice that our stance on the local church is not just about where you put your butt on a Sunday. That's not what it's about. Just because you sit in this place or because you don't sit in this place doesn't make you a part of a local church. Again, you can be, part, you can be on the team, you can be on the roster, but you can also not be part of the team. There are some, reality, there are some in every local church, ours included, who attend the services but are just not part of the church because they're not joined together in, for worship, for edification, prayer, fellowship, and the ordinances. That's what makes a local church a local church. We're not just a building and a, and a, and a list of people who have membership here. Yeah, those, that list of membership is important in certain ways, like what we're going to do, we're going to vote on things and things like that. But that's not what it's, that, that doesn't serve the purpose of saying this is who is part of our church. These are the people on mission. That's not what it's for. There are some who aren't members for whatever reasons they have that are part of the mission here. They love our church. They love what God's doing through us and they want to be a part of that. That's awesome. There are others who are on our roster as a member and don't have any interest in that. They're not part of the mission. They're not part of the worship, edification, prayer, fellowship, and the ordinances like what is makes up a local church. I think we can learn a lot. See, the early church, uh, we talk, I think a lot of people talk about the early church a lot, and we can sometimes idolize the early church, but reality is uh, we see some of the, the really positive sides of the early church, but if you've been in church long enough, you know, you look at that and you go, man, that must have been messy. That early church had some issues, man. They had lots of, can you imagine the problems they had? Because they didn't have any structure. They didn't have any hindsight. They, I mean, everything was hindsight. They, were, they had no ability to look at, well, this is what's worked for a period of time. How do we adjust that for where we're at today? It was just figuring it all out. Because everything got thrown out. Jesus did a great job of throwing just about everything out the window, turning everything upside down and saying, okay, now follow me. There's no structure. There's no checklist. Just follow me. And live by the Holy Spirit. Look at the, the early church here in Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I read it recently this year, and it really resonated with me that um, the one thing that is so drastically different with the New Testament church that can't be taught, can't, it's not a process, it's not a, it's not a formula, is community. That's what they had. That was the magic of their system. You can point to all these other things and say, oh yeah, well, the early church had this, the early church. What they had was community that changed everything. 
And you read this, you look at this. 3,000 people came to know Jesus at the beginning of this portion of Scripture. And God was adding to their number day by day. Do you think these people had jobs? They had families. They had responsibilities. They did. And yet, the community that was created through their common faith in Jesus became so important. It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread. This wasn't just something that was an aspect of who they are. This was something they devoted themselves to. Some of us, if we're honest, we've never set the church family near enough a priority to call it devotion. I can tell you, I I, want to say thank you to those that helped yesterday at our work day. And I, I thought about this, obviously. I've been, I mull over my sermons for quite a while, but I, uh, just taking stock of yesterday, looking around and seeing those who were part of it, and I thought, man, these are some people who are devoted to this church. They didn't get paid a penny, and we were rolling around in the dirt and just to get the church looking nice. Now, do I believe that on, the only people that were devoted were there yesterday? No, it's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is looking around yesterday and seeing a group of people who were devoted and seeing the joy of cleaning things up around the church that it brought them to know, like, man, the church is looking better. This is awesome. I must have heard it a couple dozen times from just about each person that was there. This is what devotion, this was my, my thinking yesterday, this is what devotion looks like. People who will give up of their time, their energy, uh, uh, resources to make the church look nice, to make sure that it looks presentable, that God's house is taken care of. Are we devoted? Or is this like a social club? I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm not trying to shame anybody. But we need to ask the question. I mean, if we want, uh, does anybody else, am I the only one that wants a church like the early church? who's adding people to their number daily, who's changing the world, who's seeing people healed, seeing miracles accomplished every day, seeing the the kingdom of God present on this earth? It takes more than a social club to do that. It takes a family completely devoted, not to this building, not to the, the banner Dubois Alliance Church, simply devoted to Jesus, but this is just where you call home. And this is the family where you find yourself. That's what's important, that we have a local family, uh, that, that this is where you call home, and this is the people you call family. We all have the same mission. Whether it's a church down the road or this church, it should be the same mission. It's the same Jesus. It's the same kingdom of God that we're worshiping, that we're serving. But God will create local bodies of believers, and that's who we are. It was cool. Uh, at one point, we pulled the one bush off here at the corner. Uh, if you didn't notice, there's a few bushes missing around the church. Uh, some of you probably didn't even notice it coming in. Uh, we pulled the one, and there's a little brick of when the church was built back in 1966. And I just spent some time yesterday thinking about, like, man, the people who literally laid the foundations of this church in a physical way, but those who laid it in a spiritual way, uh, we benefit from their devotion to the church, benefit from their devotion to this family. How many hours, how many, how many resources, how many lives were completely devoted to what God was doing here? 
If you don't know, our church is not large. Uh, I don't think we've broken 100 more than once or twice in the last year. We're not a huge group of people. But when I get together with the Alliance people, I just have to say our name. And we're known throughout our entire denomination by people. Oh, I know that church. We've sent handfuls of missionaries out of this church to all over the world. This church has had tremendous reach. It loves Jesus. It has a history and, and, and a heritage of loving Jesus and being devoted to Him. And I think that's awesome. What an, what an awesome thing to know about. And as we were yanking some of these bushes out, we're like, these were probably planted when the church was built. I am pretty sure that's how old some of those are. And those roots went deep. Trust me. Uh, they did. It was just kind of a, a cool moment for, for me, and I know some of the other people that were working yesterday, just to think about, this isn't erasing that heritage, but appreciating what was and, and what we have because people were devoted. And I, and I think about that, you know, when Killian's my age, hopefully we're still here, what will he benefit from? That is because of our devotion to Jesus, our devotion to this family. What will the next generation benefit from? I see the kids, you know, down in junior church and, and, and running around the church, and I love that. And that ne- will never bother me. They could be dancing up the aisles right now, and it wouldn't bother me a bit. I love that. So I think, what are we handing off to them? Are we handing off a consumer mentality church? Or are we handing off a, a legacy of Jesus' devotion that says he comes first, not there? And, and I don't want to step on any toes but I, well, I do. Uh, not their baseball games and their football games and their this, that, or the other thing, but Jesus comes first. Can we hand that legacy to them? Uh, I hope so. That, now, that doesn't mean you never miss church for anything. That's not what I'm talking about. That's legalism. What I mean is they understand Jesus comes first. He is first in our lives. Speaking of stepping on some toes, you can't be devoted to a church community from your couch. I love that we get to live stream our services, but live streaming, live streaming our services is great for those who cannot be here. That's why I love it. We have some people who physically cannot get here, and I love that whether you're on vacation or when I was on vacation, I, could, I was able to log right in and watch and, be a, and still feel a part of what was happening here. But it also makes it way too easy to act like we're part of the church community without even putting the effort on of getting out of our pajamas. And I don't mean that for anybody that's watching this morning, though, that you're not a part of our church. We do need to assess, though, our devotion to the church. Not just do Boys Alliance Church, but to the church, to the organism that God created to, uh, to, to accomplish his mission throughout the world. There is a together part of church which cannot be obtained from a distance. It is together. We journey with Jesus together. And I love that part of it. Uh, some of you know I didn't have a great nuclear family growing up. And so when I entered the church, I was like, man, these people actually care about me. They love me. Like, I found a place to belong. Like, this is awesome. And some churches do really, really good at that, and some don't. Some have little groups of people who feel really connected, and others who don't. Some 
Churches are great with community if you've been here for a while. But if you're new, man, good luck trying to plug in there. And we're called to be a family who's always evolving and changing and maneuvering. And when someone new comes in, we, we accept them and we love them. I hope, I think we do a, a, a decent job of that here. But that's what we're called to do, to be devoted to that. How many people, if you look around the room as you're leaving today, how many of these people have you had in your home for a meal? How many people have you been in their house for a meal? Have you invited out to lunch? Have you, this breaking of bread part, that community, I think it's one of the most significant parts of what the early church had. They invaded each other's lives, and they had to be transparent. Listen, you come over to my house, you won't make it an hour before I freak out on one of my kids. You won't make it long. They, they make it very easy. You'll, you'll get to hear my dad voice. Because that's who we are. I'm not going to change who I am just because you come in my home. I'm sorry. I love you all, but I don't love you enough to change who I am. I'm just who I am. So I'm probably going to yell at Killian. We might have to go in the other room, and he will magically cry for no other reason than the fact that we're in a room separately where no one can see us. Uh, that's going to happen because that kid likes it. He, he likes to push buttons. But that's us. Many of you have been in our home already. Uh, and we continue to hope to invite you into our home because we love that. I love to, to invade each other's lives. That's part of the community that you can't get anywhere else, hopefully. I, I, I've, I know I've talked with you all but with this uh, before, and I've talked to a number of you, just about well, the one place that the world has for community that I think is still beating us, and it's the bar. Man, if you've ever been, a, I've not so don't judge me, all right? Just being clear about this. I've never been a part of a bar, but I get the appeal. You walk in, you see people you know, they don't judge you. They're not there. They don't, they're not looking at you to see what they can get from you. you. You just find a place of belonging without the judgment, without the hatred. With, you just pick up conversations. You, you get to know each other. You get to complain about things together, uh, all of that. I forget, I know one of the people I listened to, one of the pastors was talking about just how, how well they do community in a setting like that. And sometimes they still beat us at it. Because man, you can spill your drink and fall over and people will help you up, clean it up. It's okay, let me get you another one. Let me help you out. It's, it's funny, but it's also true. Like It's not about like, oh, you dirtbag, get out of here. You don't belong with us. You make us look bad. There's none of that. And we've done that as the church. Well, you make us look bad because you smoke in our parking lot, so I don't want to see you, you know. Let's not, just not have you a part of this anymore. You don't dress the, the right way for church, so we just won't have you a part of that anymore. Man, what if we could be the community that God calls us to be? Our vision is to be a family. What if we were that family? What if we were close enough uh, that we, w- we had people, not everybody, that's not realistic, but we had people in our church who we could be completely vulnerable and open with? That they knew, we didn't have to walk into church thinking, man, if, if they only knew who I was. Man, the enemy has so much power in that because we're not willing to be vulnerable with each other. What if there were people here? So what can we take away from our statement of faith today? What can we wrestle with this week? Well, first, have you ever sought the Lord for healing? Have you ever asked him for that? Have you ever had enough faith to actually trust him for it? to ask for it with expectation. Have you ever asked the elders to anoint and pray over you? That can be, I don't know, maybe awkward. I don't know, I think our elders are great. 
I don't think they're, they're uh, tough people to get to know and, and, and ask something of that out. Do you believe that God can and does heal? That's a big question to wrestle with. Kind of pointless to come forward and ask for healing if you don't believe God can even do it. Do you believe that he can and that he still does to this day? Another question, who are you currently discipling? Church is about making disciples, and you would, I would hope, say, yeah, I'm a part of the Dubois Alliance Church. Okay, to be a part of the church means to be a part of discipling. So who are you discipling? Are you just on the roster? Are you part of the mission? Are you on the team? Are you currently being discipled? It's really easy to think, well, I have so much wisdom and knowledge to pass on to those uh, other than me, but then to also submit ourselves to a process of discipling. And are you a part of our church family or merely a spectator, just on the roster? I got a name tag, and that's all I got. Are you devoted to what God is doing in our community and through our church? Because I believe God's going to do incredible things in this place. And it's not going to happen if we treat it like a social club or if we feel connected from our couch. It's going to take us getting involved. It's going to take us invading each other's lives. It's going to take us loving each other enough to put up with the junk in each other's lives, knowing we're, we're, no, we're no better, but we're all here. And there are people here who's got, who God can use to significantly change your life and draw you closer to him if you will just allow that and begin to connect, begin to be devoted to the mission of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, being in this location since 1966, the heritage, the, the people who have walked these halls, who have sat in this room who have been so devoted to you that literally the world was never the same because of how much they loved you. Lord, how much of what we do will echo in eternity? Or do we just live our lives for us? Are we devoted to what you're doing, God? Would you help every person here to wrestle with that truth this week? to ask what they are devoted to, whether they're a part or just on the roster. Lord, I pray you would challenge us each, no matter where we find ourselves in this, we would each be challenged to a closer walk with you, that we would be disciple makers who invest in others' lives to see them draw closer to you and that they would reach out to others and they would draw others close to you and those would reach out. Lord, that's what you've called us to be. Would we be what our vision statement says? Would we be a church who empowers people to reach into their communities, into their places and talk about Jesus and make disciples? Lord, I thank you for what you're doing through this foundation study. Lord, would you grow our foundation firm in who you are and what your word says? Would our relationship with you grow so significantly that we would have a firm foundation? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week.